Hello. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know what you would do. <laughs> we never know. We never. We always start with laughter, like every time. I know. Laughing. How embarrassing. Hello. She's Sarah. I'm Sarah. And this is a new episode of the Bookcast Club podcast. And we're coming to you with our part two of our favourites from 2020. Welcome to episode 39 of the Bookcast Club. The two series are sharing their favourite books from the second half of 2020 today. They chat through their reading plans and intentions for 2021, as well as naming their favourite book of 2020. If you enjoy the podcast, there are a number of ways you can support us. The easiest way and the one that helps people find us the most is by telling your friends about us and sharing on social media. We're at Bookcast Club on both Twitter and Instagram. You can also review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we have a Patreon account for those who want to support us financially. Our tiers start at just $2 a month where you can get yourself early access to the podcast, bonus episodes and personalised recommendations and books in the post. If you want to get in touch with the podcast with reading recommendations, episode ideas or questions, then please send them our way on Instagram or Twitter or by email, thebookcastclub at outlook.com. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hi everyone. Happy New Year. Do people still say that at this time? What time is it? Oh, maybe not. (laughs) not. Well, it was always tradition that you said Happy New Year to everyone the first time you saw them after Christmas, I think. Well, after the New Year. I don't know. Have you seen anyone recently? (laughs) No, I have not. Were you one of those people who made, my mum is one of these people, who really leans into the like, oh, I haven't seen you since last year, jokes. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Depends what mood I'm in. Depends what day you catch me on. (laughs) I do quite like that bit where just before Christmas, or if you've seen someone just after Christmas, but before New Year's, I do quite like the, see you next year. Anyway, we're here to talk about our favourites. <laughs> part two. So earlier in the year, we recorded our favourites from January 2020 up until June 2020. And now we're back with the latter half of the year with July to December 2020. And what an we, eventful uh, time it's been. What a six month period it was for everyone. <laughs> I want to ask you, Sarah, how was your reading year in general? I think it was good. It was good. It's hard. It's it's one of those things where I, I remember early March when everything started to get quite tumultuous in the world and we were sort of, everyone was moving to the lockdowns and that word lockdown was suddenly thrown at us. And the first few weeks of lockdown, I really struggled to concentrate. The only time, other time I've experienced that inability to concentrate is when you're grieving. Mm-hmm. So it was quite strange to be going through that at that time. And so I thought, you know, the initial thought was everyone's like, oh, think of all the books you're going to read and all that sort of thing. But actually, I, I struggled for a while to get in back into my reading after sort of starting a year off quite well. But then it, it came back. I think I reread some of my favourites to sort of ease myself into it. But yeah, no, it was good overall with a few rocky patches. Yeah, okay. 
I was kind of the same. I've done a lot of rereading in the past sort of six to nine months as well. It's really been a something that I've really turned to. So that's been really good. And I was kind of the same. I It's funny what you said about grieving, because when the first lockdown, I was in Australia. So where I was in Australia, I mean, it was there was barely a lockdown, really. But I was actually packing up my dad's stuff. My dad died a few years ago. And we were finally like going through his office. So it was a really weird time. You know, you're sort of you know how it is, looking through weird files and stuff and trying to determine if you want to keep something or not. Strange. It was hard to get into. And then I got a bit better for a while. Towards the end of the year, it's sort of, in my mind, it was like coming to an end. So I was really enthusiastic about it. Like, oh, I'm going to do all this reading and then the world's going to like open up again. That was a dumb thought, but that's what I was thinking. And now I'm back to sort of like, <laughs> back to rereading. I think it's necessary though. I think we, I think it's comfort, isn't it? A bit like comfort eating or comfort baking or, you know, watching your favourite films. We all know now you've got to do what you've got to do to sort of keep, keep your head screwed on a bit because I'm certainly feeling it. I don't know what exactly that is, but it's tricky when you've got so much time. It's hard to then structure and the reality of being in your house and working in your house and then your work being probably on a dining room table or a desk in the same place that you relax it's all quite complicated and I'm a big believer in being freelance I love working from home but normally there's also the option of going to a cafe and it's just all that lack of option then Mm -hmm. really plays on you and and then it just has like I think a detrimental effect on enjoying things so I, I think comfort reading comfort watching is necessary I'm getting into this mood now this is sort of jumping ahead to next year but I don't want to read any contemporary I don't read I don't want to read anything about like people in the world right now I either want to read non-fiction, something really old, or like a fantasy or science fiction novel. That's all I want. Wow, that's a bold statement. Is it? You sort of you're done with this time. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of it. I've grown weary I'm of done this with century. The 21st century. So <laughs> yeah. I've really been leaning into like heavy sci-fi. I don't know. There's definitely something in that. It's got to be needing to escape isn't it because you can't physically escape at the moment so if you can mentally take yourself and take your imagination to other places then do it I think it's going to be wholly necessary (laughs) yeah and because it's not over you know covid's not going anywhere and and I think accepting the reality and accepting normality of what that's going to be like it's a big thing to get over yeah I think there's something about it being now the next year like it's 2021 we're getting onto year two of this there's something about that that really has a different feeling compared to you know the second wave last year I think it really feels hard Mm, I I would agree and so yeah I mean I like it I think that if it keeps you reading and think the thing as well so in the UK you know we can go out once a day for exercise and most of the time that's for a walk I love walking like that's something I do at the weekends we go on big walks and we go on hikes and we go to different places and obviously we can't do that now but I'm so conscious as well I think last year I was so conscious of not wanting to like ruin reading for myself there's taking comfort in it but not pushing it too hard to then uh, make it a chore or make it a really irritating thing that I can't I can't read anymore it's a real tricky balance of taking comfort in it so if if that for you involves not reading anything set (laughs) in a real world then fair play that's me yeah that's interesting (laughs) how has starting to be in this podcast changed how you feel about reading do you think because you were just talking about feeling pressure to read has the podcast changed that for you so we start i don't know if people are new to listening to this podcast sarah and i joined in april 2020 i think 
that. It's definitely something that's in my subconscious now. So when I'm reading, I think I'm quicker to analyse books. I think I'm quicker to assess who would like them. Or if, if they're, I think the decision is whether they're worth talking about, even if I personally didn't enjoy it. It's that process that goes through my mind when I'm reading something of how can I digest this? How can I talk to our listeners about it? Is it worth recommending? That's the sort of thing that does play on my mind. And that's definitely changed because I never used to, other than recommending things on Instagram and social media. But then it would only be purely, I love this book, you might too, without really worrying. Not I say worrying, but, you know, not really thinking about that was just a, a straight recommendation. Whereas now there's feedback and there's a conversation rather than just me telling people what I like. So my reading has evolved and, you know, meeting you, you've challenged my reading habits <laughs> in a good way. Not intentionally, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, not intentionally, but in a good way, as in opened up my eyes to other genres other than historical fiction. <laughs> <laughs> there are other genres who knew it who knew it i didn't know that but yeah, no so, so it would seem <laughs> definitely that kind of being aware of what i'm reading and maybe challenging myself to find something new a new author or an old author or whatever it is outside reading more widely making sure i'm aware of what messages i'm consuming and but that's great that's partly why i love reading and love the bookish world so it's all been positive changes i think it's probably made me a better reader yeah i think so too for my for myself that is not you no judgment on you <laughs> it's definitely made me more as you're saying conscious of how other people might think of the book so as I'm reading a book if I don't like it necessarily I'm going to be thinking about who might like it why I don't like it if that means I think it's a bad book or if that if it's a book that is like not something that I'm going to particularly enjoy. For example, Hamnet, I didn't like it, but Jenny did really like it. And as I was reading Hamnet, I was thinking more about why I personally don't like it, why it's not resonating with me. And now as I talk about Hamnet, whereas like a year ago, I would have just said like, oh, I didn't think it was very good, very overrated. Now I'm more likely to say, well, now I would say something like, oh, I think it's more a book for people who maybe haven't experienced grief I'm not going to go into my thoughts about Hamnet, but yeah, that's how I would approach a book now. Yeah. Because I think otherwise it's not very helpful for people if you can't, if you just say that you think a book is like good or bad, it's not very, you have to say why so that the other people can uh, decide if that resonates with them or if they think that they might actually like a book. Definitely deepened my analysis Mm. of said book. Sometimes I read reviews or hear reviews of books and people say things like, oh, I didn't like this book, the ending was vague, there was no plot, and the characters were all unlikable. And I'm like, great, add it to the list. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. You're like, sign me up. Love that. Okay, so Sarah likes really unlikable main characters. Any budding authors out there, you know, write them for her, because she, she loves to hate. <laughs> no, I found it interesting. I do think that there is something quite enjoyable about disliking the characters in a book. I actually think that that needs to happen more often. I think we do often end up in the art of pleasing. And actually, one of my favourite books of all time, The Harry Kubert Affair, the main guy is an absolute ass. If you met him in real life, you would not be impressed. You would think he's arrogant. He, but that's exactly what he is. He's a talented writer that thinks a lot of himself. The skill is that the writer manages to convey that and doesn't give a, a damn if you like him or not. It's But that's your character and that's your protagonist. And I really enjoy it. And it's one of my favourite books of all time. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'll write a book with really horrible characters. Are you going to write a book? I would love to write a book. 
Really? I didn't know that. I've loved to write a book. I have so many thoughts and things in my head. I've got such an overactive imagination. And I just think there's got to be something I can do with them. That's These cool. Thoughts and ideas and things that pop into my head. But what's, what's annoying about the way my brain works is that I get snippets of ideas rather than fully fledged ideas. Mm. Maybe you write a short story collection. Yeah, I get like almost scenarios in my head. Write them down. I do, I do. Oh, you do. Okay. I do do a lot of voice notes as well because often, weirdly, always happens to me when I'm in the car. Okay. You've probably got it. You must have a short story collection inside you. Maybe that's what I'll do in lockdown. (laughs) So let's talk about our favourites. Yes, let's crack on. I'm going to kick off with The Lilac Girls by Martha Hall Kelly. It's a historical fiction novel, my absolute guilty pleasure. And I gave it a 4.5 slash 5 stars in July. It is about three women set in World War II, one American lady, one Polish lady, and one German lady. Their stories do intertwine, not in the way you expect. I just really enjoyed having, for someone who reads a lot around this time period, I really enjoyed the perspective from the Polish lady and also the German lady. I really enjoyed Britain sort of not being in there. I thought that was fascinating. And the American point of view where the Americans were involved, but still so far away. It didn't feel like they were about to be invaded, which was obviously the strong sentiment in Britain. So I thought that was fascinating. And then I really enjoyed the Polish story because it starts with her life before the war and then the occupation of Warsaw and then her her witnessing her country being taken over and the new regime and, and she ends up in a camp. And it's really fascinating fascinating then there's also the german point of view for this lady who becomes a doctor and she ends up working in the death camps and it's all about experiments that they did but it was a really beautifully woven together story and i just yeah for someone like i said someone who reads a lot in this period of historical fiction it really stood out to me really enjoyed it and i think this was one in july that i raced the noon sitting in the garden in nice weather equally i think it would work for cozying up with i, re- I thought about the story a lot afterwards and that that's always a good indicator to me that good things are happening. So I thoroughly recommend that one if you are into your World War Two historical fiction. Nice. How did you find this? I'd like to know. I've never heard of it, actually. I don't actually know, but it's probably something that's popped up on my Goodreads. Hmm, cool. Do you do that a lot, actually, like finding a book sort of coincidentally rather than someone like me, so recommending you a book? Oh, 100%. I, oh, do you? I, I find books in the most peculiar ways. That's what Goodreads is quite good for because it kind of suggests things and I click it. But I'm not like you because I always read a blurb. I always, <laughs> yeah. read, I always read reviews if there are reviews to read. I'm very investigative with my do I launch into a little synopsis thing. But I, yeah, I'm quite good at just clicking on things. <laughs> I'm a good clicker. Um, Professional. And I think I'm quite curious. So sometimes I'll see someone randomly on Instagram mention a book and then I'll look up that book and then you know how it is. You then end up like four books later or on a film or somewhere else and then I end up finding something completely new. Okay, I don't do that. But then I don't read blurbs so I wouldn't. If I did that then I'd go into a book with with nothing. (laughs) So I'm more likely to go, like if you said to me, oh I think you'd really like this, it's got XYZ, I'd be like, okay, and then I'd just read it. I wouldn't. uh... I find that fascinating. That's so trusting. It's more that I don't want to hear what the publisher thinks I should know about a book because so often I read the blurb and it's more detail than I would have wanted. The only time I would read the blurb would be if I was, say, 50 pages in and a bit confused mm. or if I couldn't work out like when it was set or something like that. Oh yeah, I need a date. I need to align my cogs in my brain and go, right, this time we're talking about Mars in 30,065. 
I don't know. I like to find it out organically or something. But then I find sometimes when I'm reading a book is that sometimes I have to flick back to the blurb, like you said. I flick back and I'm like, so where's this story going? Which normally means Mm. it's not great. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. I just prefer to... I would actually go to a review. I wouldn't uh, look up the blurb. I would Google it. (laughs) I would Google it. What's your next book, please? Right. Love to hear it. My book is The Great Believers, which I gave a big fat five stars. And oh, yes. I would give it a five star again and again and again by Rebecca Mackey. I just love this book. I think for someone that couldn't finish A Little Life, this was perfect for me. It's set in 80s Chicago and contemporary Paris, and it follows Yale and the gay community, and it deals with the AIDS crisis and the devastation of the community and the uncertainty and the lack of knowledge and not really knowing what this disease was it's heartbreaking it it plays with your emotions and then the contemporary Paris storyline is following one of Yale's friend's sister Laura I think that's her name (laughs) as she's searching for her estranged daughter in Paris and she's seen a video online and she's desperately she's hired hired a a private investigator and she's desperately searching Paris to reconnect with her daughter and it's really interesting because you you get this perspective of the time reflecting back whilst also living through everything that happens at the same time and it's really beautifully broken up and woven together and I just I recommended this to so many people and it's just yeah it's sort of breathtakingly human and deep Mm. and emotional and vulnerable and I just thought it was brilliant I Mm. personally enjoyed it huge amount I'm desperate to read this I must I just wrote it down for absolutely no reason even though it's on my (laughs) to read list already (laughs) I really really want to read this I think I would really like it I'm worried that you're not gonna like it I don't know why why are you worried don't be worried I always worry that you won't like the books I like not that we do have to like the same, but they're just a bit bit needy. <laughs> don't fret. Don't worry about me. I'm grumpy and don't like stuff. But I, I really like the sound of this book. I think it sounds cool. One of my favourite books of last year was a book that you recommended to me. So I did that, Reader. I did that. <laughs> reader. <laughs> Listener. Reader, I did it. I just read Jane Eyre for the first time, actually, everyone. Loved it. Loved it. Oh, I'm so excited. We can now read. We've got a buddy read coming up. Yeah, that's right. So Sarah and I are both quite keen to read more classics this year because we have been listening to a podcast, which we'll link in the show notes, called Marlon and Jake Read Dead People. It's brilliant. Which is Marlon James's podcast with his editor. It's amazing. Like, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's so good. And they only talk about dead authors as sort of a rule in the podcast. And they talk about classics in such a way... Like I've never really heard people talk about classics in that way, actually. It's so approachable and so enthusiastic. It really makes you want to read them. 100%. It is such a brilliant podcast, and it's such a clever way of doing it. So Sarah, I read Jane Eyre when I was in school. I probably should read it again. It's been a while. And so that was one of her classics that she wanted to read. And we're then going on to do a buddy read of... Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Brees. Which is a response to... Yeah. So, I mean, huge spoiler for Jane Eyre, but there's the woman in the attic. It's, um, I think, about her from her perspective. And actually reading Jane Eyre for the first time after having listened to their episode where they discuss Jane Eyre and they talk about the attitude towards Creole people um, and Jamaicans at that time, it had a such a weird feeling as I was reading it. Really, I'm very grateful to them because I don't know if I would have noticed that if I'd read it, well, if I'd read it like when I was... In high school, I certainly wouldn't have. And I think even a few years ago, I wouldn't have noticed how they talk about Beersa and yeah, very interesting. Really interesting. But yeah, thoroughly recommend that podcast. 
after you listened to our podcast. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Sarah, please yes. talk us through your a couple of your favourites from last year. Okay, so one, I think that my favourite book that I read in the second half of last year was Real Life by Brandon Taylor. This is a book that I read, it was actually on my radar already, but it, humble brag, but it was listed, it was long listed for the men book, I shortlisted actually as well, or the booker rather, I should say. Real Life is the story of a postgraduate student called Wallace in the US. He is studying biochemistry, I think, so he's a PhD. The book is about 48 hours in his life, so it's one weekend. So it really zooms in on all of the details of his life, and I really, really liked it. Because it's only two days, you're not you don't really get much of a plot, of course. So what the book is really focused on is the way that Wallace interacts with his friends, the way he interacts with his lab mates. He is gay, so there's that element of his life. He's also black. So it's talking it's looking at that, that kind of intersectionality, how he's treated by his peers for being queer, how he's treated by his peers for being black, how those things are accepted in different ways. And I just thought it was really, really brilliant. It's really beautiful. And it's so eye-opening the way that you, Brendan Taylor, like sort of articulates so beautifully how Wallace gets all these like tiny microaggressions and tiny comments throughout his day that just eat away at him. And he tells the story like with such detail that you really feel for Wallace, like just Oh, the whole book was just like all these people were just saying all these like offhand comments, things that were so well-meaning, but they really added up to sort of a really difficult situation for him. Yeah, I don't know if I'm selling it to you super well because it sounds like it's a bit of a a trying read, I guess. But I thought it was really wonderful. No, I I I'm fully sold on this book, and I I also quite enjoy something set over quite a tight timeline i think it's quite an incredible achievement to make the story happen in that time and set the parameters to the narrative because you loved it i have written it down and it's on my list it's also probably the best depiction of academia i've seen in a book says the academic like well normally it's a bit (laughs) i don't know you know you know it is whenever you read your own job or whatever in a book it's like well that's not actually how it is (laughs) Yeah, Brandon Taylor captures how ridiculous it is in the book. <laughs> I think he did actually study what Wallace studies, reasonably autobiograph- autobiographical, the novel. So, yeah, super accurate. The other one that I want to talk about, the other fiction book, is The Wolf Border by Sarah Hall. Sarah Hall is an American author. She wrote The Electric Michelangelo, which is, I think, her most famous book. A little while ago now, but that's the, that's the book that I knew of hers. So this book is about a woman who is living in the US. She is a biologist, I think, or an ecologist of some kind, and she works on a reservation in the US um, preserving, I think, wildlife and that kind of thing. And then she is asked by a really rich person in the UK to come over and reintroduce the wolves into his sort of huge estate. He wants to, because there used to be wolves in the UK, and he wants to bring them back and sort of try and balance the ecosystem and that kind of thing. And she's sort of quite sceptical because he's really rich. He's quite conservative. Like he, he rides around the helicopter and she doesn't really understand what his motivation is. And she's like, well, he can't be, this can't be like a purely environmental thing. There's something else happening here, but okay. But she thinks it's a good idea. So she does it. And then, so they bring this breeding pair uh, to the UK. And then, so she's, she's there. She's like monitoring these wolves really closely. They become like her life, you know, she has to watch them all night and make sure that they settle in okay and that kind of thing and then she finds out that she's pregnant this happens very early on so it's not a spoiler this wasn't a planned pregnancy at all so she's sort of 
thinking about what to do as she's trying to breed these wolves and then the one of the wolves becomes pregnant. And so this it's this funny sort of parallel between her deciding whether she wants to be a mother, she's looking after this wolf who is a mother, and it's a very interesting look at uh, motherhood and how and sort of nature versus nurture and that kind of thing. It's really, really good. I think you would actually really enjoy it. It sounds fascinating, like really fascinating. I don't know. I love the whole vibe of it. It was very sort of environment, environmental and she... The way she describes like the nature and and as they're walking around the woods and looking for the wolves, it just it felt very real. That sounds fantastic, and it's another one I've added to my list. When I that's good. Got reams of time ahead. Of Beautiful me. cover as well. Oh, love that. If you've that. seen the cover, my cover was like the top half was white, the bottom half was like moss green, and then there was like a white outline of a wolf. Beautiful. So my next five star, which was in August, was Homegoing by Yayasi. And we've definitely talked about it before, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but I thoroughly recommend it. She's got a new book coming out soon, I think. And it it reads a bit like a short story collection in the fact that every part is a new character. They're all interwoven and it starts with two sisters. One is sold in slavery and one marries one of the slavers. And sort of then the story evolves from there. It's just a really eye-opening exploration around slavery, but then modern day and finding your identity and finding your place amongst the world. The influence of what happened to your family and ancestors in the past and how that shapes your identity. It explores the influences of the past in quite an interesting way because you read it in a linear sense in the fact that it starts in the 1800s and ends up in sort of contemporary time. It's very cleverly woven together, subtly, and it just reads really well as well. There's something really enjoyable about how the story progresses and the different families and how they progress and yeah all the things that take you on a different path and all the choices you make and all the choices that are made for you because of the color of your skin or your sexuality it it really really goes into the complexity and the depth of all of those influences and circumstances but it's a hopeful book it's not a sad traumatic book it's just it's just a really beautiful exploration of family. Mm. I can't wait to read this. I'm excited. I'm going to read it this year. Mm. I just put actually on hold her newest one at the library. So when the libraries open up again, hopefully I'll be able to get it. Someone in my book club is reading it right now, the new one that is, mm. because she loved Homegoing as well. And she started reading the new one and she loves it. Great stuff. Really good stuff. Can't wait to get into that one. Love it. What's your next one, my friend? My next <laughs> Kick one you, my friend. <laughs> is- a recommendation from my friend, Sarah, fellow co-host. She told me to read this book called The Bass Rock by Evie Wilde. Wait, did you tell me to read it? I sh- Excuse me. Absolutely. I actually read that book twice uh, in 2020. Yeah. Fun fact is I go to Scotland every year for holiday and The Bass Rock is basically where I go. I don't go to The Bass Rock because there's nothing on the Bass Rock, but it is the area in which I holiday. And so I was initially drawn in because of the locale. And then it's a brand new writer to me, Evie Wilde. She's actually been around for a little while. And it's really hard to sum up my feelings for this book, but I think that's why I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. It really challenged me. It really wasn't what I was expecting. I think. Oh, that's interesting. So shall we just quickly say the Bass Rock it's like a, it's a huge rock, huge ass rock, right? Off the coast of Scotland. <laughs> Maybe you should say this, considering I've never been there. <laughs> it's off, the, off the coast of um, 
So the area of Scotland that's called East Lothian, which is along the coast from Edinburgh, and the Bass Rock houses lots and lots of birds, um, but also has a lighthouse station on it. Well, it's not really a proper lighthouse, but it has a station on it, and it's quite a figurehead of the landscape, and it has been obviously there for many, many moons, and yeah, it's a really beautiful part of the world, and it's this quite iconic identifier of the landscape for that area. So if you've been there or seen pictures of it, you will have seen the Bass Rock, and it's, it's quite well known. So Evie Wilde has written a story... And it's sort of about the Bass Rock, but not really. It's That's mm. the sort of setting for it. But it's about women. It's about the violence towards women. It weaves beautifully three stories of a contemporary lady who is house-sitting her deceased grandmother. Yeah. Step-grandmother. Yeah. So yeah, it's three women. There's a contemporary, a 1950s, early 60s, and then a sort of medieval, older time line. But for me, was my least favourite part yeah me too i, I think. didn't think it really added anything yeah it was sort of the other two were quite tightly interwoven mm. and they were really the plot and the other bit was just kind of like local background information i guess sort yeah. of it was more about the sort of setting and it was wild scotland and this just idea yeah. but then woven throughout as well i said woven a lot i'm sorry are sort of snippets of stories involving women you know experience violence and it's it's, it's really a, it really quite a vulnerable book again as well because it does make you wonder about yeah how many times you've walked down a dark street by yourself and it, it really gets you thinking about the society and yeah how vulnerable women are and it, it's a thinker it definitely gets that brain going and it, it's not a sad book it's not necessarily a hopeful book it's a very in the middle reminder that there's a lot that goes on that we don't hear about all that we accept as norms that we shouldn't it actually reminded me a little bit of real life in that you're not looking at this huge flashy display of racism for example and like the way that the people that the men are treating the women in these books uh, it's not this huge flashy display of like domestic violence or sexism it's this capturing like the tiny everyday things that they say that happen to you again and again that build up which i think maybe when it happens to you it can actually be quite hard to articulate how it is but as you read it it's so good I thought she did such a good job at portraying how, yeah, how the women must feel and how sort of perpetual and constant this bullshit is. Yeah. So especially, I think the one in the 50s, her husband, right, is like constantly belittling her and all these things happen. He doesn't really believe her. nothing, like no communication and just just this off and... and She's just expected, I mean, they're her stepkids, but it's just this, it's just, it's all about the expectation and all about these rules that have been put in place, but by whom and yeah. obviously by men it really really gets you thinking about things um, but in, in a quite, quite subtle way which I think this is why it was like a slow burn for me mm. because like you said there's no big display of anything it's quite grim it's quite dark it's quite grisly but it's not a slasher film it's, it's super subtle and a challenging read in a way mm. it stayed with me for sure mm, same I have a very strong memory of uh, when I first read this, I listened to the audiobook the first time, and I was in Hobart, so in Australia, and I was driving around by myself, and it was middle of winter, so super bad weather. The rain was like lashing against the windows, like it does in the opening scenes of horror movies, you know, and like the wipers were going back and forth. And I was driving around this mountain to go to a friend's house, and it was dark, and I was listening to this, um, you know, this story, and it was just such a crazy feeling. 
very strong memory of listening to this narrator describe the bass rock and what was happening to these women and stuff and I was like (laughs) (laughs) driving along (laughs) that's terrifying but yeah I thoroughly recommend it if you're looking for something really different and then Evie Wilde I've now picked up one of her other earlier books and yeah I was quite excited to discover a new author and excited to read more of her in the future cool cool she's Australian I think but she lives in the UK now I believe so you sold her I guess that's fine (laughs) (laughs) sorry Okay, my last two are both non-fiction. They're books I read almost at exactly the same time. Actually, weirdly, when I was reading The Best Rock, I kind of read these at the same time. I don't know what I was doing, going wild. Three books at once. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy times. <laughs> so these are White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo and I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. Uh, Robin D'Angelo is a sociologist. So in White Fragility, what she is doing is writing quite a practical and... I don't want to say academic because it's not dense or anything like that. It's very digestible, but it's a very unemotional description of systemic racism, structural inequality, how this actually works and how it can be dismantled. She has been running, I think, workshops for a very long time. So it's based on the way that she does workshops. And I thought it was really good. I really appreciated being able to read something about how these things are kind of built in to our structures. And also she's very good at explaining how we as white people need to do something ourselves you know we can't be like listening to other people all the time we need to actually like look at ourselves do work ourselves and fix this ourselves it's our problem so it was brilliant then i'm still here is uh austin channing brown so she is a the ceo i think of some kind of sort of charity or in the u.s that does a lot of like outreach work sort of poor areas feeding people and that kind of thing she's black and she's a woman and she's the leader of this company and so her, I'm Still Here is a memoir. The subtitle is Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And she's talking about how, as she's trying to do this really important work, as she's trying to share what they're doing um, with other people and as she's trying to get help and that kind of thing, she constantly runs into these barriers where people are looking around for the white man who must be in charge, thinking that she's like pulling their leg because she's trying to take their money and they look at her really suspiciously. Time and time again, this happens. She tells the story, all these stories about, for example, youth groups coming to their little mission area, I guess, and these youth leaders turn up and they're like, "Oh, you can't be right. Like this is this is all wrong. We better put the kids back in the bus. They can't go here. This is dangerous," um, and make all these assumptions about her just every damn day. So together, they were such a powerful thing to read because you're reading about, I guess, structure of how this happens, but then you also read about how this affects a, an individual in their life. So it was a perfect pair, really. Both fantastic. Really good pairing. Really good mm. pairing. Especially if you want to do some wider reading on systemic racism and, yeah, understanding your own white privilege if you are white. Um, and, yeah, really, really good pairing. And You've spoken highly of both of those. And I think it's quite good to get the example. I think I, th- I, find, the, I find it fascinating reading about people's personal experiences especially when it's fact and truth and things that you should be aware of because it's just that idea of walking in someone else's shoes and I I think that's a really powerful way of conveying Mm, definitely definitely and then also in white fragility Robin D'Angelo is sort of saying okay it's not it's nice to be sad but also you have to do something yeah 100% and I think they would be really good Especially really good starting points if they're if it's not really a topic that you know loads about. They're a great pair. Set you on a good path, I think. Love that. Some great mm. recommendations in there. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> so welcome. Here's the big question. 
Drum roll, please. Not really. Terrible for the recording. Book of the year. Do you have a favourite book of the year? Great Believers. Oh, Ooh, just like that. No hesitation. No doubt in my mind. I think just because it just really was excellent. And again, finding a new author I hadn't heard of Rebecca Mackey. Um, I can't, again, I can't quite remember. I need to write down how I stumbled across these things. I think spending far too much time on the internet is probably the truth of that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I really, really loved it and I've recommended it to lots of people who have all validated my choices. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's the main thing. <laughs> the main thing is they've all rubbed the ego. But yeah, no, I, I just think it stands out for me. I really connected with it. It's a book I know I'm definitely going to reread. And I would like lots more people to read it so we can talk about it more. Mm, I'll read it, I promise you. Please do. I'll read it much. Whoa. Okay, we've got it officially recorded. So, <laughs> What is your standout book of the entire year? Mine is The Yield by Tara Jude Winch. Whoa. Which I read before I joined this podcast. And then I did talk about it in my favourites of the first half of the year. Uh-huh. So if you want to hear me wax lyrical about that, you can go back to that episode. Tara Jim Winch is an Australian author. She's an Indigenous author. And The Yield is the story of a young Indigenous girl who has been living in London for the past 10 years. Her grandfather in Australia has died. So she goes back to Australia, goes back to her family, and she is trying to deal with sort of all these things at once. The feeling of having been far away and coming home, the feeling of losing someone who you haven't seen recently but were close to this sort of a weird bit of grief the weird feeling of going back to a place that you haven't been in for so long so you sort of feel equal parts like a tourist and like it's your your own place you know there's also there's also a side story with her grandparents farm so the the government are trying to get them off the farms so they can use the property um, and there's a lot of discussion in there about like ind- indigenous land rights in Australia, and that kind of thing. So the uh, the main character is also trying to like protect her grandmother, make keep their farm, all that kind of thing. So it's just really, really brilliant. It's so delicately done. She so cleverly has all these bits of the narrative. It's not forced. It works together wonderfully. I was just really impressed by it, and it also won Australia's biggest literary prize. So. I also feel validated. <laughs> I think a few people agree with you then. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> Did I like strong arm you guys into reading it for our next book club? Is that this or was that something else? I think that might be something else. But, um... oh, that's my book club then. Someone I've strong armed into reading it. I don't remember. <laughs> it's it's on, I mean, it's on my list. And I remember you talking about it last time. Yeah, it's, and then also my, one of my promises to you this year is to read more Australian authors. That's true. I did. I did. Uh, I did make you promise that. That ticks that box. Yes. <laughs> if I mean, if that's the only one you read this year, I'll be happy. Oof, okay. Because it's such a good one, you know. Well, I did win some prizes, so I must have done something right. I think it's just been definitely came out in Europe a few months ago, so I think it must be must be out in the UK for yeah. sure. I'm sure the internet will provide results. Hmm. So, is that the end of your favourite? That's it. They were our favourites. Um, I'm really looking forward to my reading year this year. I think it's going to be a lot better than last year. I didn't have a lot of bangers last year, but I feel better about this. Same. I'm lacking on the bangers. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Give us more bangers. Yeah. Um, you heard it here first. I uh, yeah, same. I only because I only had four in the whole of July to December, and I know that's not the longest time period, but I feel like maybe there should have been like another two amazing ones. Seeing as I did read a lot of books, but yeah, no, I'm excited for the year ahead. I'm excited to read more classics. I'm excited to carry on talking shit about them all. <laughs> mm. Let's. Um, waffling on and think that's 2020 done with. Bring on the rest of the... Well, not really bring on the rest of the year because it's all a bit shit. But <laughs> the reading can be great. The reading can be great. The COVIDs could be not so great. Yeah, I'm going to read some more classics, read some more fantasy, read some more sci-fi. Get into it. Get into I'm excited. It. I like that. That's so exciting. So thank you everyone for listening, as always. Follow us, subscribe to us, and so you keep up to date with all the podcasts. We're sticking around, we're enjoying the journey we're going on, divulging all our reading secrets. Yes, please let us know what your favourite book was of 2020, particularly if it was one that we also thought was good. (laughs) We would love to hear that. (laughs) Our ego's more, we love that. Um, But yeah, challenge us leave us some recommendations we're on instagram a special you know dedicated instagram to our book uh, the book cast club podcast and yeah we're yeah we're excited for 2021 we hope you are we hope you're all well despite everything going on sending lots of love and hugs because it's a tricky time and yeah we hope that you know some of these recommendations can find their way ways onto your shelves this year absolutely thanks for listening wash your hands (laughs) Wear a mask. Excellent note to end on. Bye. Goodbye.